Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Thank you for joining us on a special edition of the Share Life Podcast. We're in an ongoing series as part of the discovery process for my next book, my next book project, From the Garden to the Cross, How Jesus's Harrowing Mission Shows Us the Way. In this discussion, we're rewinding and reflecting on the farewell discourse, which is the final conversation Jesus had with his disciples immediately before his harrowing passion began. Today, I'm going by Rachel, John, and Jeff. Uh, Rachel, say hello. Hi. Uh, Rachel, is it Darnell? Darnall? It's Darnell. Sometimes we get Darnall. It just kind of depends on who you ask. Okay. Rachel Darnell is a homeschooling mom, sporadic blogger, and author at various Christian media outlets. She's currently writing Daughters of Sarah, a woman on book, uh, a woman, a book on women, liberty, and submission. We originally connected on Twitter. Uh, John, say hello. Hi, I'm John. Uh, John Lemberg is a former youth pastor, a business owner, which is how we met through the local chamber of commerce years ago. Back when um, you were born. Back, yep. <laughs> Father of four. <laughs> Uh, an enthusiastic fan of both Star Trek and the historic VW Bug. He's also living in the Atlanta area. Uh, Jeff, say hello. How you doing, Jason? Jeff Fambro is a son of Christ, a native Georgian, one of the few in the area. High school and middle school football and basketball coach at Lanier Christian Academy. Enterprise accounting manager for Indeed. And most importantly, a passionate and intentional leader in his family, community, and church. And we met through a mutual friend on the business arena as well. So thank you all for joining uh, in this discussion. In this conversation, uh, we've already discussed in the past episodes, uh, Jesus' agonizing prayer in the garden, his middle of the night of rest, Judas's betrayal, a night of scheming to kill Jesus, the three denials by Peter, the death of Judas, Pilate asking Jesus about truth, Herod directing Jesus to entertain him, Pilate washing his hands of responsibility, Simon carrying Jesus' cross, Jesus forgiving his perpetrators, and Jesus' final finishing moments on the cross. Now we're rewinding in time to the moments right before we enter the Garden of Gethsemane to see and reflect on what Jesus said before his suffering journey began, and his disciples quickly dispersed. Through the Last Supper and the Farewell Discourse, the disciples drank a fire hose of information from Jesus, having very little time to process it before all hell broke loose. Since we don't have time to read and reflect on everything disclosed in John chapters 14 through 16, we'll read and discuss key passages from each section that encapsulate what's uncommunicated. So let us begin in John chapter 14 about the way to the Father. So I'm going to go ahead and read John 14 verses 1, 6, 7, and 12. And then we'll discuss this. Um, Rachel, I'll throw it to you first, and, and then I'll go to Jeff and John to follow. Um, so John 14, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. <clears throat> trust in God and trust also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. So as we just kind of, this part of the passage, this part of Jesus' conversation with disciples is really about his connection between God, the Father, and, and Jesus, the Son. And, um, you know, I think one, one of the things that kind of sticks out for me right now as, um, 
as we've, as I've gone through these other parts of the passion journey is when he talks about trusting God and trust also in me, I'm, I'm connected to, you know, Jesus's final words on the cross when he says, father, I, I commit my spirit. Essentially he's trusting God, um, with his, his, um, his demise at the end. So that's something that really, that kind of is kind of sticking out to me. Um, Rachel, what, what about you? What's, when you think about these passages, um, how do you connect to them? Well, I was really excited when I found out uh, where we were reading, because this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It has been like since I was a teenager. Um, well, what was, I what, grew tell up, us, yeah, tell us what the connection yeah. is. Was it just because of what was said or? Yeah, so I grew up in the church, but I think that this passage really helped me get a grasp on like my first introduction into like Trinitarian theology mm. and the idea that uh, we see God through Christ. And that was just a huge like eye-opening thing for me um, to realize as I was becoming a more mature Christian that when we see Christ, um, when we see Jesus in the flesh and when we see him in the, on the cross or with his disciples, like he is actually showing us the father so um that is a huge thing for me in verse seven um that if you have seen jesus you've seen the father um if you've seen the father you've seen jesus they, they're the same they have the same character yeah jeff uh what would you add to that or what would you speak to this this passage here yeah i think in reading this you you take the uh, just the definitive aspect of I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It, it's it's final. There's only, and this is where so much truth comes comes from this text, and really solidifying where we can know that we are believing in the one true God. Mm -hmm. uh, you, if you look at other other. Uh, religions or other uh, kind of just faiths that are out there, they give multiple ways on where you can go and meander through life. And, and eventually, if, you, if you're good outweighs your bad, then, then uh, yeah, you'll go to heaven. You know, it's a very you know, kind of vague philosophy. But you take this and, you, and you, you see where Jesus says, I am the way. All your prayer comes through through me. All you believe, you you come to me, and I can give you that solid aspect of you will have eternity with me through this uh, pathway of the fact that I am the pathway for you in your eternity with me uh, after death. Yeah. So what what is it about that? Um... Like I kind of imagine like at the end of every road towards God is Jesus is standing there, you know, <laughs> right. And regardless of how we get there. Um, but what does that actually mean that Jesus is the way? Like how, what is he, what is he referring to there? Or how do you kind of process that? It's a, it's a good question. It, it really comes back to me where we look at this and we look at the we look at scripture as a whole and 66 books written over thousands of years and culminating in the the birth life and death 
of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and through this, you can go into the Old Testament and you can see all of the different 300 plus uh, uh, prophecies that are fulfilled through this one man. And then you can see his life. There's no contradiction. There's no sin that is that is is there and ultimately saying and you can put that word against all of the different historical contexts where he says i'm the way i am by following me and believing in me that is how this this is this is how your life is going to be on a firm foundation and it's going to be able to uh, for, for eternity, be able to be held through a relationship with your heavenly father. And I think that's for me is the fact that this is, this is true. This is, this is tangible, uh, action, uh, that, that really, uh, no one has been able to, um, satisfying. <laughs> yeah. 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 There we go. Thank you. Uh, John, what about you? What, what do you, uh, Connect with so, so interesting. This passage, you know, if you if you had to take that that grouping of of verses, the, the one probably uh, best known is "I am the way, the truth, and the life." And I, I kind of got stuck on uh, on "Don't let your hearts be troubled." Yeah, um, trust in God and trust also in me. Um, it, you know, it starts off pretty bad. You know, it, it's kind of like the guy who tells a, a story. Well, 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 I got drunk at three o'clock in the morning and you know, whatever comes after that doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and here he says, don't let your hearts be troubled, meaning that, that there's a lot of mess going on. And, um, and he continues, he says, trust in God and trust also in me. And that this, this presence that Jeff just spoke about, you know, is meant to make a difference in the way you process life. That, that there's a reason, there's a reason you, you need this, I am the way, the truth, the life, that there is, there is trouble coming your way. Um, and, and in some way, this being of, of Jesus, and, as, and as, as Rachel had said, this being is, if you, to see Jesus is to see God. Yeah. Um, this, this being of God and in the flesh, Jesus is supposed to, to make a difference in your life uh, qualitatively in some kind of way that when, when trouble hits you, it's supposed to be, uh, helpful. Yeah. Um, and, um, it, it, it also, I found the language fascinating. Um, it says, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one come to the father except through me. And then, and then he says, he says, if you had really known me, um, it's, it's, it, it's almost like, it's almost like backhanding somebody. He didn't say, because you know me, <clears throat> he didn't say, um, you guys have done a great job knowing me. He says, if you really had, um, and he, he's speaking to, to the disciples here, like there's, there's more to know. Yeah. Um, the Jesus they've, they've walked with is not the full Jesus. Is that what you're implying? Or that there's, there's, there's this, this limitless capacity of understanding, um, God, the father himself. And, uh, and, and you've seen, you've seen this piece physically, um, with me, but there's, there's still yet, yet more to know. Um, it, in, if you had really known me it still sounds kind of like it's, it's almost like maybe you didn't really get it. Mm. And the disciples didn't often get it in, yeah. in the scriptures anyway. Well, so, so, so contrast that with, like you said, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? Jesus is telling him not to be troubled. 
And as soon as he says all this and the passion begins, they went to quickly going to trouble. <laughs> they, they went to being oh, trouble yeah. and running away. So how do you reconcile that? The fact that Jesus told them one thing and they did the opposite. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, well, that that's often oftentimes what takes place too. I mean, you look through the scriptures and 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 Lord will give one direction and 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 his people are off in another. Um, and you'd figure the warning would would often be enough um, to direct. And I guess sometimes it's not. Um, maybe 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 that's a that in itself is is a metaphor for life where we know we know the direction it's not about education you know yeah here, here's the education and we're gonna and yeah. people often just just hang a right turn away from that anyhow so well and um, i think that's what the implication is with jesus saying he is the way is that perhaps these words him simply saying the words is is not enough jesus literally has to to make the way on on behalf so rachel you know what would you anything you would add to, to that, but also specifically this dynamic between Jesus and the father. And I think, how does that apply to us today? You know, I think many people would say I'm a Christian or I'm religious or I believe in God. <clears throat> well, Jesus seems to kind of implicate something here that the kind of questions, some of those assumptions that perhaps we make um, or that others make. Yeah. Um, as far as just adding to what John was saying, um, I think a lot of the reason why we see such a, a different response from the disciples than what Jesus told them, you know, don't, don't be anxious, don't be troubled, is because Jesus is predicating that on um, the future event of the Holy Spirit uh, being given and the Holy Spirit's indwelling. So we're kind of before that point now um, where he's promising the Holy Spirit, but they don't have the Holy Spirit at the crucifixion event. And it kind of shows um, how different the disciples are before the Holy Spirit and then after the Holy Spirit. And that kind mm -hmm. of comes into the, the Trinitarian aspect too, that um, our yeah. relationship is with the Trinitarian God and the way that it is um, facilitated. And I don't wanna get ahead because I know we're going into this <laughs> next section but uh, the way it's facilitated is is through the holy spirit so yeah and that well, makes I guess it a very different is... kind of religion than than just like oh do these things and and you'll become a good person so um, go into that a very a unique deeper. way yeah go go a little further into that in the sense of the uniqueness yeah it's such a unique um belief and such a unique um religion, it almost seems weird to call it a religion as if it's mm -hmm. one religion among others, when it's really um, a way of being able to become one with God um, through the Holy Spirit and through our relationship with um, Jesus, who is God, become man, which is just there. That's that's a really unique thing um, among the religions of the world. Yeah. Well, and I guess what's interesting, too, is that the last part that I pulled out was and you will do even greater works because I am going to be with the father. Like that sticks out to me is, well, if he had like, because he's not staying it, there will actually be more benefit. And I don't know exactly yeah. how to make sense of that, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I read a book for the year before. It's actually an old uh, Puritan book by um, Thomas Boston um, called the heart of Christ. 
And he talks like the premise of the book is that people kind of imagine, oh, if only I could have been there in the flesh with Jesus, like the disciples were, like I would be able to believe, I would be able to um, believe in his advocacy of me. And um, his book is about actually, you will be benefited more by Christ being, going away and going to heaven and having the Holy Spirit. Um, it's actually, we have more than what they had yeah. when, this, when this talk was given by Jesus. Yeah. Jeff, what would you add to that? And I think the thing, if you have anything to speak about in terms of Jesus then goes on to say, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done even greater. Like, mm -hmm. how do you, it's pretty, like Jesus did a pretty great thing. <laughs> how, what does that mean for us? So if you think about when, uh, when the Holy Spirit is, is coming on uh, and, and you, and you look at the uh, the omniscience, the omnipotence, and the omnipresence yeah. of, of a Trinitarian God. Jesus was fully man and fully God. However, Jesus could only be in one, one place at one time. You bring in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can, is, is everywhere at once. And when he is saying is, I'm going to give you an individual that is going to be in you and more of that that faith aspect of it. So for me, when I have uh, actually just recently uh, kind of looked at uh, Galatians 5, which talks about fruits of the Spirit, yeah, think about all of those things that were centered in Jesus and that he taught, but now by putting the Holy Spirit inside of us, we are now able to then take that and, and, and push that out into our daily lives where we are having that progressive sanctification of becoming more and more like Jesus as we go through our life. Yeah. So uh, when, when he's saying, not only am I going to get, is somebody coming, but you're gonna be able to do greater works than, than even I can, he is, is setting up and saying the Holy Spirit is the culmination of all of this. Yes, I am the, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but through the Holy Spirit, you are going to have that power that my father has given me to be able to do these great, wonderful things. And I think all of us have, have, have uh, seen that through prayer, through circumstances, uh, to see where God's sovereignty is you know, today, is he's in control, and we yeah. can see all of those things happening both individually and around us. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, the thing that kind of, one of the things that sticks out for me when you say all that is that there also is a uniqueness to the role of each part of God, Jesus's role and the spirit's role and the father's role and how those harmonize. And as a, and as an example for us to follow as well. So I want to go ahead and jump into the next passage on the Holy spirit, and then I'll throw it to you, John, to, to speak into it and then we'll keep going. So this is from John 14, 16 through 17, verses 26 and 27. And then I'm going to jump to John 16, chapter 16, and read from uh, verses 8, 13, and 14, because Jesus comes back to the, the Spirit in that chapter as well. Um, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because, he, because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. 
When the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a, with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And then in John chapter 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So John, what's, uh, what's going on here? What, what do you connect with? There's that, uh, be, be, have peace of mind. Do not be troubled again. <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as I, you know, as I went through this in, in preparation, the, the, the idea of, of, of peace versus trouble is really just kind of in all of this. Um, the, the, the first word that stands out to me is advocate. Um, somebody who, somebody who kind of, kind of is, 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 you know, projecting and working for your best that's that's the the advocate in my mind and um and going back to what rachel <clears throat> had said a moment ago that um that he is the holy spirit who leads into all truth um you know i i, I used to think about that you know what would it be like what would it be like if jesus were were were, were here physically or whether we had if we had this this tangible physical presence of God. And you, you can go back to the scriptures and look at that, you know, particularly with the Israelites uh, exiting from Egypt, they've got this manifestation of God, fire, fire by night, yeah. cloud I mean, by God day. God shows up to Moses and Moses you know, is like, nah, I'm not the guy. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you've got these, you got these literal, these literal physical, tangible manifestations of God, you know, and, and people just, eh, you know, and and so and somehow, the Holy Spirit is is meant to be better. And I, I think it, the key there is it says he says I will give you another advocate who will never leave you, and and the fact that Jesus is, is physical, it, it, it implies and and necessitates in some way, shape, or form that there is departure. Either I I walk, Jesus is in one room and I walk to another. Or, or Jesus is in one town and and I'm in another over here, and and you know if you can if you could picture that if we each had if we each had Jesus with us in in physical form how awkward that would be, you know some yeah. some five year old toting Jesus through the the soccer field while he was trying to score the goal would be would be really uncomfortable. Mm. Um, so to so to have this presence of God with you constantly. And and Jesus is very clear here. Also, uh, Rachel talked about about Trinitarian, and and, and he, he flat out says this. He says because he says you know you know because he lives with you now. So he's talking about himself. He's living with you now, Jesus. I'm here. I'm living with you now. And later he will be in you. Mm-hmm. So he it's it's as close as you can get in in much of the scripture to to have this concept of the trinity jesus and the holy spirit being one here he's saying i'm I'm not gone i'm with you but i'm inside you you can take me with you wherever you go um i'm i'm not leaving you i'm not departing you um departing from you if you're in one town i'm i'm here with you if you're in another town i'm here with you i don't know that we 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 think about it that way i think we're more inclined to be people who are are physical i want somebody in front of me 
So how and do you reconcile that idea of the hiddenness of God? How do I reconcile the idea of the hiddenness of God? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's funny. It's easy to ignore what you don't see. And, um, and when you, when you don't pay attention and he kind of, he says that too, you know, that these things are understood. If the, if the world really known you, you, you would know my father as well. Um, and, and you, you need to pay attention to these things. Um, so if, if, if you, if you, if you refuse to pay attention, it becomes hidden very, very quickly. Yeah. It's there, interesting. Cause in the, uh, when Jesus appears before Herod, Herod wants him to do all these things and, and Jesus is just silent. And I read a commentary by Oswald Chambers and he talked about how, um, John the Baptist has, was trying to connect, you know, share the gospel with, with uh, Herod. And for a moment, he had like a uh, conviction, but then because of everything that unfolded, he decided to silence God. And so when Jesus showed up, he was silent because he, because Herod had silenced him before. And so, you know, I connect those dots in just terms of the, that God speaks to us, but, but um, if we're not listening, um, we're not going to hear him either. Mm-hmm. so rate yeah rate or go ahead the other thing that comes to mind from this passage of scripture that was actually very freeing when i, I, I actually two things one it says i'm leaving you a gift peace of mind and heart which is is kind of what we talked about before the world will give you trouble but there is peace of mind and heart in this relationship with with jesus um and again, he reminds you, he says, so don't be troubled or afraid. And then he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will convict the world of its sin, which is really, uh, uh, it, it takes the pressure off of me for sure. I'm, I'm not, I, policing the world of its sin is not my responsibility. The Lord is, uh, is quite capable of convicting the world of, uh, of sin on its own without, without my help. And, uh, and, and, and in fact, would you say, I guess it's interesting because I wonder if sometimes we actually make it worse then. Oh yeah. I, it, it, pro- we probably do. I think the, <laughs> the, the church could very easily be, um, uh, be accused of, of being the policeman of the world. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they want to go convict of sin, probably sin the very sins they're, they're doing themselves, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, which makes it even more hypocritical, um, and if, if you're not convicting of sin, then what's your message? Your message is love, which yeah. is the Christ. So it, it frees me up to go love, um, re- regardless of where somebody may or may not be um, in their place in life. Yeah. You know? So there, there's, yeah. there's freedom in that. Yeah. Rachel, what would you add to that? And um, I, there was one interesting distinction to um, God. He says, the Holy Spirit lives with you now but later he will be in you. And that implies the Holy spirit is there, but there's a difference when it, when it indwells inside of us. Um, Rachel, what would you add to to that or what has already been said by John? Um, Yeah, I would definitely say there seems to be a difference between, I mean, the Holy spirit of course is always um, around us and God is, um, imminent that's part of what he's like so the holy spirit is everywhere just as god is everywhere but there's something different about the holy spirit being inside of us and um giving us life uh giving us life to do the same kind of works 
as God himself does. Um, in this section, I think what really stands out for me especially is just this, uh, this idea of being guided into truth. Uh, that's, that's a theme that really, really hits home for me. Um, I did a study on uh, Proverbs with the ladies at our church a couple of years ago, and just that theme of the ability to gain wisdom and how valuable wisdom is and the Holy Spirit kind of brings that and it's sort of a contrast with like what you see in Genesis 3 where it's not that humans don't want knowledge like we have always wanted knowledge but we want it in the wrong way and Jesus is saying it's not that God doesn't want you to have knowledge that he doesn't want you to understand things um, but this is the way is for you to have the Holy Spirit and for the Holy Spirit to teach you. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things he that he mentions is he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. And I think that's really powerful and encouraging and reassuring. Um, like God kind of fills the gap, you know, in a way that that's beyond what, what otherwise we have to sort of, I have to remember everything. I have to understand everything. I have to sort of have it all together. Yeah, um, I'm a mom of two. So I'm like, please all the reminders <laughs> yeah I will, I will forget yeah so easily we do uh jeff what would you uh, add to this passage about the spirit and the advocacy and truth well I, the it, it continues to go back of when you accept christ as your as your savior the the spirit is is implanted inside of you and so this this ability to be able to produce out, you know, the fruits, and and where where Christ is is our advocate. It goes back to our, our previous section where he says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me." Well, th this is kind of where you look at this at the very difficult concept of the Trinity, and how you have God the Father. God the, God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit, well, you almost look at it as, as a, uh, a hierarchical submission structure. Yeah. We have God the Father at the top where Christ submitted himself as, as the Son to the Father. I mean, the Holy Spirit has now submitted himself uh, to, to, to Christ and, and ultimately to God the Father as well. So you have this advocate in, in, in moving, moving up but it is God is or Jesus is trying to give Himself to us, where we can again be sanctified in that we are working each and every day to become more like Him as we uh, go on our journey in life. To when we're we're no longer here uh, and, and our physical body dies, we are in eternity with Him. Yeah, I guess with the with the Spirit, then you know we're we're to invite the spirit to indwell in us and, and the baptism is part of that process. Right. Mm -hmm. But it does seem in a lot of Christianity, we we've either diminished or forgotten that, um, the spirit of the role of the spirit, what, anything you would say to that, or do you agree or disagree? Uh, are you talking about kind of the, uh, in just in, in overall teaching where we kind of forget the fact that yeah. the there. It's almost like it's more on us than it is on the spirit. It seems here pretty clear that the spirit is doing a lot of 
the heavy lifting, right? And we're participating in that. And I think maybe in a lot of teaching, it tends to be the opposite. Like we're to do the heavy lifting and God helps us a little bit along the way, you know? <laughs> right. Well, it, it goes back to what John was saying about the fact of um, <clears throat> tangible aspect. Yeah. As, as humans, if we can hold on to something, yes, if I, if I have my phone here, okay, this is a phone. It's, it's a, I can, I can actually see it is instead of if it was just, you know, I've got this blur on behind me. So, so is it, is it a phone? Is it, is it something that, that just, you know, connects to my ear, but in, when I talk to, as a biblical counselor, uh, when I talk to individuals and I, I help disciple them, it's that, that is, that is what faith is. That is that last step where you have to believe in the fact, in, in the, the unseen. You have yeah. to look at the fact that there is a battle. We talk about in, in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 6, where we put on the armor. We put on that, uh, th that, that armor each and every day to go to battle. And that there, and a lot of times when we're arguing with other people or we're in disagreement, it's not actually we're in disagreement. It's because there is a battle that's happening on around us that we can't we can't really even see. And so when we think about the the Holy Spirit, when you're teaching the Holy Spirit to a congregation, you're teaching the Holy Spirit to a, uh, a Bible fellowship or a Sunday school class. The, that, that whole concept of the intangible, it's very vague to a lot of individuals because they've never really even thought about it. Yeah. But, it, but I can give you Jesus. I can, I can show you. I can, everybody knows what Jesus looks like. But we start thinking about the power. It goes back to what he says. Like, I'm going to give you something that's going to help you do even greater things than I do. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's interesting because it's um, that tangibility and the hiddenness piece, the connection between the two. Um, I think until a lot of times from my own experience, until we experience the spirit of God working in us, around us and with others we're praying for, sometimes it can feel like it's even real, you know, like there's, but when you experience it, it changes the dynamic, or at least it has for me. So John, I want to throw it to you, but I want to jump to the next passage. Jesus, the true real, vine. Real quick, Jason, but go ahead. Yeah. Another thought about that. I mean, is it not true that by and large as human beings, we live out, out of sight, out of mind? You know, it, 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 it really, it really challenges that, you know, faith, faith challenges that the Holy mm -hmm. spirit challenges that. Yeah. So it, it, while, while, while the Holy spirit is meant to be this, this advocate that helps us, that is present with us, that is, is, is constantly with us. Um, it, we live our lives in many ways out of, out of sight, out of mind. And, yeah. and our faith is constantly challenging that. So that was my yeah, thought. yeah, that's a good point. And that kind of to the next passage is Jesus, the true vine. Uh, so this is John 15, one through four, eight, and then 12 through 14. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
So John, what would you add to that? Or what connects? Interesting. Um, the, the first words out of his mouth are, I'm the true grapevine, that uh, as though there, there are others, mm. that there, there, there may be other things that, um, that are alluring, um, that may have a semblance of real fruit, um, but really are not. Yeah. Um, so uh, he didn't just say, I'm the grapevine, I, I'm the, the true one. There, there yeah. are other things that, that, uh, that intercept, other things that are in the way, other things that are a temptation to go attach yourself to yeah. uh, that, aren't, that are not God, that, that, are, not, that are not Jesus Christ. And, um, and, he, and, and the rest of it talks about bearing fruit, which is, I'm not even sure in, in our world we have so much of a, a yeah. concept of what that is. It, it, it probably is more, uh, the word is probably productivity, like, like mm -hmm. kind of some kind of produce or, or, or a product having, having a work for your labor. Yeah. Um, and, and he, he, he defines that. He says, he says the way to that is to stay in me. Yeah. Uh, which is this, there's this ongoing relationship. There's this ongoing dialogue that's meant to happen. He talked about it prior in, you know, with respect to the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and, and teaching you about things to come um, as we as we pay attention and as we move beyond out of sight, out of mind. Um, and, and he's saying you need to you, you need to just not just understand that that's a reality, but that there is there's this constant dialogue. There's this constant presence. There's this live in that. There's this stay in that. Um, yeah. That is a necessity there. And the best way to, to define that is relationship. You know, you're, yeah. you, you don't just meet somebody, you kind you kind of know them. And he, and he goes on to, to talk about that. He, he, he talks about it in the context of friendship. He says, there's, mm -hmm. this is my commandment, love each other um, in the same way I have loved you. And, and they seem like different thoughts remain in me and I'll remain in you and, and love each other in the same way I love you. But I don't think they're different thoughts. I think he's saying the same exact thing that you're meant to be in this love relationship. Um, and, and he, he brings it down to something very tangible. You know, how do you, how do you live with your friends? You know, there's no, no greater love yeah. than this than to, than to go and lay down one's life for your friends. So, and, and ironically, these are friends that will quickly uh, abandon Jesus when it gets rough. Uh, and they do. And Jesus still calls them friends. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And they do, they do, they do great things. I mean, ultimately, we were we were talking about uh, earlier. You know, if you tell, uh, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works. And and here we are, thousands of years later, um, beyond the the death and resurrection of Jesus, having this conversation about his work, not just because of, of his work, but also because of the thousands and millions of others mm -hmm. who've gone on to do even greater things. I think the, when I thought about that I, and think about fruit, I thought about Billy Graham. Yeah. And I thought about how many people that guy, um, how, how many people his life impacted um, to, to speak of the message of Christ, May, maybe more than any other in all of history because of of the the impact of media and life and only God could put put these these kinds of things together. We think about miraculous things, but but maybe even technology, yeah. um, you know, the television and sticking that guy in the right place at the right time, 
and um, and bearing fruit all over the world from yeah. from his life. It's exciting. Yeah. And uh, and and all from from staying in the vine. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, what would you add to that? The true vine and and what does it mean to love? I, I think we can all define love in so many different ways, but what does it mean to love the way Jesus loved? Yeah. Um, as far as loving the way Jesus loved, I think we, we do have a lot of different ways of defining what love is. I hear a lot that people say um, love is doing what's in the best interest of the other person. And that's actually not in the Bible. Um, the Bible defines love as loving somebody as you love yourself. And that's how Jesus defines it. And um, I think that's where it comes from that you would lay your life down for somebody that if you love somebody as you love yourself, what else could you do but lay down your life for their sake? So that's how I would say that Jesus defines love um, and the Bible defines love. I. I'm a writer, so I really like whenever I see like a really good illustration, I'm like, oh, that's really good. This is such a good illustration. <laughs> and I've, I've learned it's a really good illustration because I actually have the benefit right now of living on an orchard. Um, we're in between houses and like living at my in on my in-laws property and they have an orchard. So okay. it's very vivid that I can look at the branches that have been lopped off of the trees and see like, we're not going to get more apples <laughs> from those <laughs> branches yeah. anymore. Like they're done. Um, and it's just such a good um, illustration of why it doesn't work for us to try to do good works, to try to keep the law uh, without abiding in Christ that it would be like this branch that's fallen off the tree, just trying really, really, really hard yeah. to make an apple. And like, it's just, that's <laughs> not going to happen. It's not getting what it needs yeah. uh, to do that. Yeah. That's funny. I, it's, it's so absurd, you know, with the visual, but yet we do it all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. We, we want to be the independent branch that doesn't need the vine. Yeah. Cause then we can be all about, I'm the super branch that made all the apples rather than be like, mm. wow, look at the vine. Yeah. Well, and I guess there's something to even to what on that note and to what John said about Billy Graham, like we're invited to participate and there is this, this great vine and it's got many branches over time across history and in every parts of the world. And we can be a part of that. Um, and so that's exciting. It doesn't just because we're not the, the primary focus of everyone just because we're not God doesn't mean there's not a place for us. So, but yeah, we certainly would prefer that. And it seems like the way we act. Yeah. So anything else we'd like to that? We'd like a yeah. solitary glory. Like mm. we, we do have glory by being in Christ. Like we share not only in his suffering, but also in his glory. But I think our sin nature has made us want to have glory by ourselves. And Jesus isn't like that. I mean, you can see in this whole um, discourse, Jesus is eager to share that glory with the church and to bring us into it. Um, yeah. He's he's not the one who is being all about, um, I want to have all the glory to myself. He actually wants to have his glory shown in the church, in us. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting, that idea of self-glory. Um, I don't know where to put it, but it, feel like I should spend more time on that one. <laughs> yeah, me too. 
Jeff, anything you would throw in there on the, the true vine? Yeah. And, think, and what it means to love is Jesus love. Sure. I think on the true vine side, this goes back to, and uh, one of the cool things, and, and I know we all, all kind of studied for this, but it's where Jesus is actually harkening back to um, Exodus. He, he's going back when, when Moses goes up and, and says, you know, back in Exodus 3, says, Moses asks, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And so Jesus is coming and saying, I am the true vine. This is who this is who is is talking to you here. And and I think Rachel, you you expressed it beautifully in, in terms of well, what do you do with a, with a branch that that doesn't produce fruit? Well, you remove it. If it's dead, if it's literally dead, you have to remove it because it's going to take away nutrients from the other branches. But if there's a branch that's just got a little you know blemish on it. Uh, and if we think in our own our own lives, if there is somebody who is actively seeking out Christ, yet they have, uh, uh, say, you know, a, a problem with pornography, or they have a problem with drinking, or um, there there's some I, I, idolatry in their lives that through even though their heart is saying, "I trust Jesus, I have chosen Jesus, I want to." But I, but I fall down here. I fall down in these spots, work, whatever that, I, that idol might be in your life. Well, how do we prune that? We don't, we don't, we're not going to throw that person away. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, I, 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 am, I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the true vine. Uh, if somebody just needs some pruning, how do we prune them? And how do we focus them back so that those nutrients that are going through that, that vine there? And then from the, you know, the commandment about loving each other the same way, uh, as, as Jesus said, what are, what are the, the two commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if, if we are here to love our, to, if, if we love ourselves and are able to provide for ourselves and, cl and help clothe and through all those things, well, of course, we want to do the same for another and how we can help preserve uh, our life uh, and, and being able to help preserve those around us. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, I do also reminded by what you said of the, the parable of the fig tree where the farmer wants to cut it down and the other says, wait, give me a year. Let me fertilize it, take care of it. I'll do everything I can to make it bear fruit. And if it still doesn't bear fruit, then I'm gonna chop it down. Right. And um, and so, yeah, it's it's, interesting so let's jump john let's talk about the world's hatred so this is from john 15 18 through 26 and then chapter 16 1 through 3 if the world hates you remember that it hated me first the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it but you are no longer part of the world since they persecuted me naturally they will persecute you anyone who hates me also hates my father i have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. So, John, what what would you say to that? I think for me, what the that part where it says those who think they are doing a holy service for God. Um, I mean, obviously, we can relate to that in people in real life. But the Apostle Paul being an example before he was 
Paul was eventually, he believed he was doing what God asked him to do by persecuting the Christians. And yet he was against God. He was an enemy of God. So how do you, how do you reconcile this passage on the world's hatred and what sticks out for you? Um, what, was, what was most interesting to me, I think, about when I, when I read this part particular passage, you know, he kind of transitions from, from talking about our relationship with him to, to talking about our relationship with others in some respects from, you know, from the time he goes, there's no greater love than, than one who lays down his life for his friends. And then he's talking again about, about how we connect with other people. And he's saying, look, the world around you is going to hate you. And, um, and I, my, my first thought was, uh, was, was about the church in our world today and, um, and how churches strive so well to be cool. And we want great music and great things and, um, and, and, and come see God in this, uh, this comfortable arena. Um, and, and our, our message really is, is a message of pain <laughs> if, and how opposite, mm. how opposite perhaps, uh, the church in our world, since they persecuted me naturally, uh, they will persecute you a again, not a, not a happy message, yeah. uh, well, come and come and come and join come and join the church where uh where, where you're going to get persecuted they 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 hated they hated jesus they're going to hate you um and and you're going to have people around you perhaps that you don't even know who are who are working against you who want to kill you and um there's there's a there's a threat of of life perhaps in all of this and my mind goes to people in china who who um who who have to who go to church and, and their lives are threatened where they're threatened to be imprisoned for for the rest of their days and um and we're we we're perhaps frightened by a virus that'll uh that that 99.8 percent of us will survive and won't go to church or you know it's 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 crazy to me um in some respects how how opposite this message is that jesus teaches and how perhaps uh, poorly we live it out in our world uh, collectively as the church is very very fascinating to me as I uh, as I read that yeah Rachel what do you uh, have to add to that so I have a kind of an interesting relationship with this concept of the world in the bible because I I grew up in a very kind of fundamentalist background so when we thought about the world, when I was a kid, I used to think that the world was like watching TV because we weren't allowed to watch TV and uh, Hollywood, you know, stuff like that. That's the world. Um, I got a really different perspective shift when I um, kind of dug into Galatians and it's a lot of the same language in Galatians talking about um, in Galatians 4, it talks about the seed of Hagar or Ishmael. Um, versus the seed of Sarah and Isaac um, that they're warring against each other and in that passage he's not talking about um, Hollywood and this kind of like secular idea that we get when we think about the world he's actually talking about um, the religious establishment and um, when you think about uh, what he says here that those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. Like that sounds like Paul who was like a zealous Jew and he just, he did not know God though. So he actually thought he was pleasing God by um, persecuting Christians. 
but the point of it is not um you should just mistrust religious people the point of it is that um jesus says that i'm telling you this so that you won't abandon your faith and that you may face people who are religious who who have a wrong idea of who god is and they will try to shake your faith because they think faith is not the way they think following the law is the way and just you know trying to do it on your own strength is the way and jesus is kind of warning us ahead that um just stick to what i'm telling you abide in me um don't lose your faith over that yeah i guess there's a lot there to that i i think of just all the distractions that that pull us away from from the way yeah <laughs> yeah yep. And it can happen in the church as well as outside of it, um, that we're constantly being pulled away from, from just remembering the simple truth that we have to yeah. um, live, our, live our life through faith and not through our own strength. So crazy to think that, that what is religious could, could be the thing that makes you want to abandon your faith. Yeah, what, it's what not. It's not intuitive. Crazy thought that, mm -hmm. that, that what is religious and 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 in, in whatever context it may be in, may be the very thing that uh, that causes you to to be tempted to abandon faith in in Jesus. Yeah, I mean, Rachel, is that something that that you faced or with your upbringing, like that it actually detracted, or did it just incur it, or did it just compel you to go to figure out what was really going on? Um, it definitely did compel me to figure out what was really going on, especially as I got older and I began to see the fruit of some of the people that um, my parents and I had looked up to and thought, oh, these are really, really good people. And then you would find out what was going on behind the scenes and you would think, oh, that's actually really yucky, nasty fruit, obviously did not come from a healthy tree. And um that made me ask a lot of questions. And that's how I kind of came to this idea that, oh, there can be danger in trying to, um, in trying to do this do-it-yourself righteousness. Um, mm -hmm. And that can actually be probably the most compelling, the most um, beguiling distraction away from Christ, I think, because mm -hmm. it sounds so right. Um, yeah, we should try to be good people. Yeah. Uh, but it's the wrong way of trying to do it. Mm -hmm. Would you, uh, I think in America, particularly the church can sort of hide behind this passage in the sense of I'm being persecuted and being persecuted when they're just being bad. <laughs> is that kind of what you're describing or is that a different layer to it? Yeah, I think we can definitely do that. Um, kind of give ourselves a mulligan and just any time that we are accused of doing anything wrong, oh, it must be persecution. But I think um, even stronger than that, we can be the persecutors mm. um, who are so focused on um, preaching the law, preaching rules, which, which are true. Um, God did give us the law. He sent Moses to give us the law and that was Moses' ministry. Um, but that's not 
the ministry that Christians have. It's not the ministry that Christ came into the world with. He came to bring the gospel and that's what we are to be sharing with the world. Yeah. Jeff, what would you add to that? Um, so there, there's, this kind of actually hits home uh, in, in what, what I do uh, in coaching. So I, I, do, I do coach at, at a uh, Christian school and see so many of these uh, kids that have grown up in Christian families. Uh, they have, some of them have been homeschooled, some of them have been uh, in public school, others of them have never known, you know, kind of a, an awkward social situation. And there is a lot of, of them that do not own their own faith. So as soon as there's any uh, trouble, uh, there, there's any, they, they crumble because the, the, the building up, and John, I think you alluded to this, the building up of kind of the, the American way, the, the ease that we have it here uh, in the United States, which is, I, I would say, a blessing. The, the fact that the founders built this country on a uh, uh, Judeo-Christian values uh, is, is something that, that's, that's there. But at the same time, because there's not the, the worry uh, that if you walk down the streets, you're going to be shot or you're going to be strung up upside down uh, in, in hung in a public square because you don't believe a uh, really a, a faith that is so militaristic uh, that is, is they believe that they're, if, if you, uh, wear a suicide vest and walk into a square and take infidels, you're going to have this wonderful life with 72 virgins in heaven. And where a lot of churches, a lot of big churches, they go and they have this, if you just do good, if you just give money, if you just do all, all these, these happy things, God's just going to bless you. He's just gonna he's just gonna pour and they they take these passages and they they twist them to where all right as long as you're doing good God's just gonna bless you so you're gonna have no troubles at no time did Jesus ever say that he actually said you're gonna have more trouble you're gonna have it, it is there's gonna be if you accept me if you accept me and it goes back to what we started with the way the truth the life there's no other religion there's no other philosophy out there that says there's only one way. They give options. And so when we come into it from a Christian perspective and we have our own individualized faith to say, no, this is what Jesus said. This is what this is who we're this is who we're following to get to God the Father. There's people out there that go, that's just too rigid for me. I can't, I, I need I need more options because if you think about it, we have, what, 70 kinds of cereal when you walk down the cereal aisle. There's 20 kinds of cheese. There's you know, all these different things. So when, you, when somebody says, no, this is the only way, and if you don't go this way, then I'm sorry, you're going to be an eternal fire, eternal fire. It's very hard for people to understand and be able to come to that and go, 
yeah, that's what I want to be a part of. But it's actually, it really is what you want to be a part of because you're setting yourself up for eternity. You are 80 years and out, 100 years and out, which is a blip on the, on the radar in terms of the timeline. What are you talking about for eternity for the rest of, of, your, of your soul's life? So I want to jump to the, the last passage. So the sadness to joy. Um, and then we can start wrapping up here. Um, since we're, we're running out of time. So I tell you the truth. So this is from John 16, 20 to 23. And then verse 33. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but you will grieve with sudden will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor when her child is born. Her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. And at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The, uh, the thing that sticks out to me is just the connection to um, Christians and Jesus speaking that we must be reborn. And, um, and also to kind of piggyback a little bit on what Jeff said, I do think of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him, well, you must do this and this. And he said, well, I already do those things. And he says, well, go sell everything and follow me. <laughs> Gets to the heart of the matter. And so the, we can't take anything with us. I, I think of that, I, that he says it is impossible to, for a man to go through the eye, or for the camel to go through the eye of the needle and it's for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And really we, we are the rich man and we can't bring anything through the eye of the needle except our, our soul. And so, and only God can, can bring us through that and through this rebirth. So it's, it's interesting to think about just this, this anguish that comes with, with labor. I've got five kids. Um, and you know, I've been, I've watched them all be born. <laughs> so it's been quite a traumatic experience, but that there is that sense of joy that when the child comes out and the life is there, um, although I didn't deliver it. So I'll have to ask my wife if that's still, if she remembers that pain, <laughs> But John, what would you uh, add to this whole idea of sadness to joy? Do you agree, disagree? How do you reconcile it? Well, well, I do agree. Um, and, and, and the joy is not necessarily here. Um, it, is, it is future joy. Um, and he, he kind of he, he quantifies that and qualifies it at the end. Here again, he, you know, he, he kind of, he opens and closes this discourse with the same the, the same sentence almost. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And he finishes with, "Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, uh, but take heart because I have overcome the world." Um, so he's defining he's defining what life is is perhaps full of here, and um, and it's not an easy message. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that 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 childbirth that anguish um that you know it, you, you made me think of my wife when she was delivering and i can and they they told her by the way you're too late for that pitocin drip and mm-hmm. and she was just screaming at the top of her lungs i can remember uh 
the, the pain of childbirth for her. And I didn't have to experience it. I only, I only heard it. Um, and, uh, and, and it was, it was horrific. It was horrifically painful. And, and that's, that, that can be here and now, um, that can be, that can be the moments we endure, uh, moment, you know, day by day, minute by minute that, um, you know, I, I think Jeff had said earlier, you know, there, there's no, this this isn't a promise of a good time um, necessarily here on, on this earth. This it it may be harder um, believing in in Jesus um, and then than even perhaps if you didn't. And what you know, enemy doesn't have to work on you if uh, if if there's 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 no life in you already. So um, so, so why it, why is you know Jeff kind of alluded to this idea of the prosperity gospel? This yeah this story of do this kind of formulate Christianity, do X, Y, and Z, and you'll get A, B, and C, and it'll be good for you. So why are we so much of a sucker for that? I think we want that. I think we want to be, you know, it's, we're people who, who uh, seek, seek pleasure and avoid pain. And it's also very tangible, you know, to say, okay, I've, I've, I've checked off this list. When, when Jesus is saying remain in me, that's very, that's very subjective. Relationship is, is subjective. Are you present? Are you not? Are you in relationship? Are you out? You can see somebody every day. You can be in the same office or even in the same house with them, but not really have relationship. And so, so these things are not quite so quantifiable. I think it's it's very easy to 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 want to gravitate towards something that's quantifiable. I did this. I did this. I did this. I did this. I did this, and boom, I've got my result. And 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 the pros, the prosperity gospel or the pro, or prosperity theology is like that. You you do the right things. You you put the right things out, and and out come the right things. And and here it's entirely possible that you can do the right things, and and what comes out is painful, and yeah. what comes out is hard. And that's and and you're signing up for that in some respects. And we, you know we I, I talked about that a little earlier with the church. You know. We, we want it to be cool. We want it to be comfortable. We want it to be this. We want it to be that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've not yet, I've, or I've yet to seen a, a, a church board that said, hey, come join us. It's really going to be painful. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it, it, that's, that's not, that's, that's not the message we want to deliver. Um, but, but, but there is joy on the other side of that. Yeah. And, and, and there is what, what, what God promises consistently through the scripture is his presence through it um that you're not that you're not alone you know never will i leave you never will i forsake yeah. you as you go through these troubles as you go through these hardships as you go through the pains of of the groans of childbirth you know as paul talks about in romans the earth is enduring this 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 pain of of childbirth and somehow we're we're caught up in that in the in the hardship and in the pain of life but take heart, he says, because I've overcome the world. Um, it'd be very easy to say, well, that 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 means that everything is going to be perfect here and now. And I, I don't that that's that's prosperity theology. I don't think that's the case. I don't I don't think the fact that he's overcome the world is necessarily in the here and the now. It's the it's the end result um, in in heaven when you are present with God and you will not have need anymore and you will rejoice. And he's speaking of those kinds of things. And that's our hope. Mm -hmm. Rachel, what do you have to, to speak into that? And 
being the only woman on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, I really love a good illustration. And this is another one that having given birth to two children is a very vivid illustration for me. Although I will say, you know, you guys are talking about uh, remembering your wife's giving birth. I think my husband's memories of me giving birth are more vivid than mine. <laughs> I would, after our first child was born, I'd be like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. You know, my labor was fast five hours and it, it never really got that bad. And Michael would be like, no, it was really bad. <laughs> so that dynamic of like, you're suffering the pain of labor and when you're in it, that is just all that exists in your experience. And it just totally overwhelms you, your entire mind, your entire body. You don't have control over when the contractions come and you just have to ride it out. And that's all that exists for you for in one, in one case for me, it was 30 minutes and another, it was five for some women, it's 30 hours. Um, but when it's over, you forget, like almost immediately, because the baby is there and that's what matters. Like as much as you were in pain and that was all that existed while you were in labor to that degree and more when the baby arrives, that's all that exists. And everything before is just like, oh yeah, big deal. Yeah. So that does imply, you know, there is something to the, to the life side of of the death of the trauma that erases what came before is that's interesting yeah 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 it's so it's so much outweighs this experience that you went through that it's like you forget and and this is not unique to me women do forget between one birth and another uh what it was even <laughs> or they like. wouldn't have the second. women probably <laughs> wouldn't go on to have a second uh baby but it's, I, I love that contrast because now like having experienced it, like, wow, that is a really um, amazing thought to think that when the troubles of this life are over, as much as they seemed all encompassing and overwhelming, um, they'll just seem like a small thing. Yeah. So how, how do you reconcile, you know, take heart because I have overcome the world? What what's Jesus saying there? How I think that that's relate? such a, yeah, that's such a wonderful promise that it is, it is like um, John was saying, it's a future joy, but it is also a present reality in that Jesus is not saying, I don't worry in the end, I will win. He's like, I have already overcome the world and really that triumph, um, came at the cross and at the resurrection and like that that's in the past and it's a present reality for us that jesus is resurrected and that we've been resurrected in him um but there's more to come of course too yeah jeff uh what would you say to sadness to joy anything else and then we'll i'll go around with final comments yeah um I think we're in a very unique position in reading this is we already know the end of the story. Uh, he is speaking this out to in, in real time and in, in, in a present format of individuals who are living, who are living it. And we know uh, the book of Revelation. We know we know what has already happened and what and what John told us there. And so 
from from that perspective, we are we are able to know that we win, that that Jesus wins no matter what. And one of the things that uh, in that we really do as, as Christians is we give the enemy too much power. We give the enemy in knowing the fact that Jesus wins all the time, not some of the time, but all the time, because uh, even through negative and and uh, and, and adverse uh, actions, there is something it, that God's going to do to show His glory, whether it's a brother dying, a, a friend dying to cancer, a, a baby dying, like all of those situations are still going to be used for his glory. Because if, if we all believe that God is sovereign, if we believe that God from the beginning of time till, till, till when Jesus comes back, that or actually really till for, forever and eternity, that he is orchestrating all of this, that he going back to Genesis 1, 1, you know, that, that he orchestrated this from the beginning, then of course we win. Of course we, of course everything that happens in our life is for our own growth. And I'll take it because I'm a, I'm a coach, I'll take it from a sports analogy of my players and myself, we learn a lot more from times, from adverse times or times that we lose a game than when we win. Winning 76 to six is great. It's wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Great job. We, we, we hit it out of the park. But losing 14 to six when you had four or five self-inflicted penalties and, and, other, and other things, we're able to go back to that and go, okay, how do we fix that? How do we, how do we, how do we massage this? How do, we, how do we work this out so that the next part of adversity you're able to come through and and that I think that's what that's what God God is continuing to mold us into the fact of he wants us to progressively to continually be growing and learning we never get to all right cruise control ready to go it is always all right we learned now how are we going to act that going back to the pruning how do we prune and then grow how do we prune and then grow and it's this it's kind of up and down stair step where we're continuing to to move up towards our, our heavenly Father, but at the same time we're learning along the way so that we could become and and have this revelation and and understanding more of Him each and every day. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Um, I'll, I'll go around. John, you start us out. Um, Jeff, you'll finish us what are your final thoughts? And I, I do kind of like what Jeff said about like, we know the whole story, but if we put ourselves in this, in the shoes of the disciples, this is the night before the crucifixion, they don't know what's coming. This is what Jesus is telling them. You know, it kind of changes the dynamic a bit. Um, but what, what's your overall takeaway from these three chapters, what Jesus is saying and, uh, and how would you connect that? Um, I, I, my first thought is trouble is going to happen, um, and uh, and, so, and I, you know I, I couldn't agree more with what 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 Jeff just said. You know, um, there ultimately God will use it for His own glory. Ultimately, He will He will use it to make make something good of it. Um, I think at the time in the present in the present life, we may not not even understand what that is. Sometimes it's very 
particularly people who, who've experienced excruciating pain, um, trauma, difficult difficulty. Um, you know, it, it's it's very easy to say, okay, well, Jesus is, all gonna, is gonna fix all of this right here and now, and that um, and that you'll understand all of it and that you'll see all of it, and and perhaps sometimes you may not. And what he does promise is his presence through all of it. And there's there's a difference between fixing it all right here and now. Um, and 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 him being present with you through it, um, and you not being alone through it, and and that's remaining in in the vine. It's it's staying anchored in in God Himself through Jesus Christ, um, which is is ultimately where that's that's found. So um, for me, it's it that 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 is the message. That that is the message of the cross. Not 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 that it, it will all be fixed around you. Um, as much as you would like that to happen, sometimes yeah. uh, doesn't necessarily happen uh, in every every situation. And and God gives you His presence, um, and ultimately, um, it does it does happen um, where where we we will see we'll see God face to face one day. Where we there will be um, Jesus completely overcoming the world and in, in everything we do. But that that's for a, a life yet to come, and that is our hope. Yeah. Rachel, what are your concluding remarks? Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree with what John is saying that um, you're going to have trouble in the world. And it, it's not just that only Christians have trouble. Of course, we live in a fallen world. Everybody experiences trouble. Um, Christians do experience a unique kind of persecution from being believers of Christ. Um, but I think there's so much joy in what Jesus is saying here. And it's, it is future joy, it is present joy. And even if we experience persecution, um, what we have now is something that is what Peter talks about a lot in First Peter, that yes, we are suffering, but there's even a privilege in the kind of suffering that we are experiencing that we are um, entering into a suffering that Jesus, like a, a particular unique kind of suffering that Jesus inaugurated. Um, and there's almost, there is a joy in that, knowing that we're sharing in Christ's suffering is just so different than just, oh, I, the world is horrible and, you know, this kind of cynical way of suffering. Um, and as it says here that that cannot be taken away from you no matter what you're experiencing um the fact that jesus is with you in your suffering and that he even went before us in this kind of suffering um is just such a comforting thought that we are already in that relationship with him yeah yeah that's good jeff close us out uh i think the the thing that I take away from from all of this is I can put my faith on a very firm on, on a firm foundation. Uh, Jesus is truth. Jesus is life. Uh, and through that, I know that no matter in the darkest, dingiest times, I can continue uh, to see light. And and 
reading all this and going through all this uh, really just just solidifies the faith that that I have on uh, where one where am I where I'm going when I die, but at the same time where I can continue to show others uh, this is this is the way that is going to give you fulfillment uh, and and not through anything that's intangible. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Jeff. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.